On this very special episode of Listen Carefully, we welcome our first guest to the show. I guess I'm the infamous daughter, (laughs) Jill McReynolds. Jill McReynolds, daughter of Santa Bill, a prolific suspect in the John Bonet case, sat down with us to discuss the man behind the beard. A genuinely kind, caring human. Sounds like at its very simplest form, he was just a guy who still believed in magic. Angels are everywhere. Christmas is every day. And Santa is always in your heart. And he woke up to his worst nightmare. Absolutely, like, shattered his sense of self, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, do you think your parents had any involvement in the murder of John Benet Ramsey. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Um, we're really looking forward to kind of getting a, a look at what your father was really like instead of how the media improperly portrayed him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same, same with your mom as well. Um, like we've discussed before, Lindsay and I are, you know big researchers of this case and the fact that Bill McReynolds and Janet McReynolds keep coming up um, as these like kind of gotcha journalism stories has always really irked me and just recently on Facebook there was an article circulating and the, the title of it was Father Christmas and the Maid the Forgotten Suspects. Mm. how are they forgotten (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) yeah i don't think they they've ever been forgotten they still get brought up all the time and you know and of course in the true crime world your father is best known as santaville Mm -hmm. and we always read a lot of stories about him being the town santa and playing santa at the ramsey's christmas parties but how would you describe him Well, that's a big, long story. Luckily, I have had a lot of time to think about it. (laughs) So I'm just going to call him Bill um, when I explain who he is. But but I wanted to preface that with just saying that, you know, for the last 20 years of his life, he was Baba to us because my, my, my son, when he was a toddler, started calling him that. So he was Baba. But we'll just use Bill because it's a little less confusing, I think. <laughs> to explain Bill, I'll have to go all the way back to the beginning. So he and, and my mom were both born in uh, rural, the rural South. They both grew up desperately poor. My dad had a sister, an older sister, who died of polio when he was seven. So that really just affected his life. Like, that was a huge loss for him. His dad subsequently left the family, abandoned him and his mom. He started working when he was 12 to help support his mom. And he worked his whole life after that. But he was also just one of the really exceptional kind of people that super overachiever, like on top of working, he also just excelled in school, in high school. He was like the editor of the school newspaper and he was president of the glee club and he graduated right at the top of his class and he won a scholarship to go to college and he and my mom were both this is just blows my mind to think about like he and my mom were both the very first people of all the people that have been here in america and my lineage um, since 
1737 to go to college. Wow. Yeah. My dad just worked, worked, worked all through college, paid his way to live and go to college. And, you know, not only to just go to college, but to graduate school, get a master's, get a PhD. Like both of my parents did that. And to me, that's just blows, blows my mind. Like, so I didn't realize he was so educated. That's amazing. Oh yeah. Did you know he was a journalism professor? No, I, I didn't know that. Um, I, I'm really impressed by his qualifications though. Oh my God. This, you know, what happened to Bill McReynolds with the John Bonet case could not have happened to a more, it's, it's the weirdest thing. <laughs> he sounds like a kind and brilliant man. Stranger than fiction life, like he was, he was very brilliant. And my mom was the smartest person I've ever met. She was a smart lady. And yeah. was she a film critic? Um, that's what some of the internet theories claim about your mother. Yeah, she sure was. She was a, a film and theater critic all through um, the 70s. Yeah, that's yeah. a cool job. That was a really cool job. So she had a, uh, a column in the Daily Camera and went to plays all the time and was very selective about the movies that she reviewed. Like they were kind of like the more obscure artsy kind, you know, not, not the necessarily the popular culture kind. But not like Dirty it, Harry. No, no <laughs> Dirty Harry or Ransom in my <laughs> repertoire of columns because that's not the kind of columnist she was. She was more like the Roger Ebert of Boulder, you know. Like the artistic films and... Yes, yes. Yeah, so that's how she got into playwriting. Did they both have PhDs? They both had PhDs. See, that is something I, I never knew. And I really wish that instead of people referring to him as Santa Bill, they could at least put, you know, Dr. Doctor. McReynolds. Yes, right? Yeah, for how hard <laughs> he had to work for his qualifications. It's just like completely disregarded in so many articles. In every article, I think. Every article, essentially, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's it's kind of hard to find, you know, much about either of your parents as, as who they were as people mm -hmm. um, in terms of their goals, careers, aspirations, or even being as caretakers in your family. It's mostly just like you, like we talked about before, those two big coincidences that people tend to really grasp onto. Mm -hmm. um, and that yeah. would be the play... That was written yeah. by your mother and hey, also also for the fact that i was kidnapped and sexually abused on the same day as jean benet ramsey only which, only 22 years earlier that's such a horrific coincidence and i'm really sorry that happened and i'm sorry that that was even like so publicized and it's just such an in, insane coincidence but yeah it, yeah well don't worry about it. it's like you know Every now since me too, like pretty much everybody's come out and their moms have come out as being victims of sexual abuse. So I have no idea how that information ever surfaced. I just wanted to explain that, you know, their early background, just because I think it kind of explains Bill in terms of my parents were just sort of like, in a way they were sort of like immigrants. You know, like, like they came into the middle class, they, but you know, they had no history or background, but they moved up into the middle, middle class, you know, academic life, 
but I think my dad probably always experienced what we would call imposter syndrome now. Like he just had to, because, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's things, there's things you don't know when you're not part of a certain class, like little mannerisms or little, you know, subtle body language that I don't think he ever really understood very well, or my mom. I don't think he ever, they ever really were terribly accepted because they weren't, they weren't just, weren't quite there, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, it sounds like they didn't act like typical like you know middle class or mm -hmm. like how you might expect when you're saying like nuances yeah mm -hmm. but they they really tried you know they really like our house was full of classic literature and they loved to listen to classic music and you know like they uh they really thought that that was it you know that was being not a not a poor person anymore really important and um and also, like, I can't emphasize this enough. My dad was a journalist. Like, he believed in real journalism. Like, from, you know, really young age, I can remember being told, like, always look at both sides of the story. Always find out all the facts. Like, he really idolized journalism. He really, he was a very idealistic person. And he really idealized hard investigative journalism. Like, you know, he was a big... Edward R. Murrow fan and a big, he was uh, acquaintances with Molly Ivins and those were like his heroes. Like, <laughs> Do you think he felt, you know, slightly betrayed by his passion in terms of like how these journalists portrayed him? Absolutely. Absolutely. He was just devastated because like he, he had had some inklings before he retired. He just, you know, was starting to feel like really uncomfortable about things happening in journalism with like cable news and the internet was just starting to get going and social media hadn't really happened yet, but it was, you know, there were things starting and there was a lot of hype going on and he, he didn't like that. Like he did not like that. And so after he retired, he was really all about having fun. You know, he just wanted to That's have great. fun. He'd been working his whole life and just yeah. wanted to play and do, do what he loved. And enjoy so, his retirement. Yeah. So what kind of stuff did he do? Well, before I tell you kind of that piece, I just wanted to say that um, what happened to him when all of this came out sensationalizing, like absolutely like shattered his sense of self, I think, in a lot of ways. Like if you're, um, you know, a psychology and psychotherapy talk, it's, it's called a schema fracture when, you know, your view of the world just kind of gets turned upside down. And, and so that's what happened to him. He never really recovered from that. Like he was just heartbroken, if that makes any sense. Oh, absolutely. I imagine that had, you know, a huge effect on your whole family. Yeah, well... Definitely, but, you know, mostly on him, because he was an idealistic, sentimental, foolish kind of old man, you know? Yeah. He really, really believed in goodness, and uh, it wasn't hype. Like, he, he really was, like, tried to be, like, the embodiment of what Santa is, you know? Right. <laughs> and his, you know... So anyway, getting back to, like, what what he was like outside, you know, after retirement, and he, he got the white beard just kind of as part of... You know, he was very, um, he wasn't a, a religious person at all, but he was a very spiritual person. He really believed in, you know, 
goodness. And uh, so he was really involved in the Unity Church. Um, oh, okay. I don't know if you know about it, but, it, you know, it's sort of like this all religions put together, like Buddhism, Islam, Christianity, like all just kind of mixed together with the idea that love, God, or whatever you want to call it, is inside of you. So that was just like a really big piece of his life and what I think he kind of took into his Santa <laughs> career. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, there there are articles, you know, prior to JonBenet's death about Santa Bill. You know, it sounds mm -hmm. like everyone uh, in the community knew who he was and loved him. And Oh, yeah. Um, he was like, he, he had his moment and claim to fame as being Santa because <laughs> he ended up being really good at it. Yeah, And I think he was so surprised by that because, you know, when he was a kid, like, there was no Christmas. He never had Christmas as a kid, so Christmas wow. is special, special for him. And, uh, and so, you know, he just was having the time of his life as Santa. He, he probably would have been Santa Bill for the rest of his life if he could have. And, yeah, that's one of the real sad things is that getting to finally do what you wanted to do after all those years of hard work and just to have it just ripped out of his you know just ripped away from him like you know he never got to play santa ever again it was very sad to witness him going through that it sounds like it ruined it for him oh yeah the, the of case like, of course like he was he was being hounded by reporters for like two or three years and after you know after he moved away from Colorado he had to move away from Colorado to get away from them wow yeah that's yeah I didn't insane. realize that yeah so they were basically in hiding and even when they were in hiding my they, they were found by some you know a couple paparazzis every once in a while you know so oh my gosh that's so ludicrous it is Wow. It is. And, you know, so he, he really tried hard to move on with his life, but it was hard. I'm sorry that this is also still being publicized. Like, people are still talking about that. Mm -hmm. Like, and, it's relevant to the case, and it isn't. Right. And that's not his legacy. No. No, not at all. His legacy, like, in me, in my family, is, like, a genuinely kind, caring human. And, um, and I wanted to share a few things about leading up to the, the murder. Um, for one thing, he did have very serious open heart surgery just a few months before the murder. He was, you know, almost died. He, he had some really serious complications. He was, he lost like, he was in the hospital for like over a month. He lost like 40 pounds. He was frail mm -hmm. and he was not in good health. Um, that is absolutely true. And he wasn't traipsing around doing Santa stuff on, on, in 1996. He was, you know, just not even able to lift 20 pounds at that point because um, he was still, you know, trying to recover. And um, the only things he did as far as his Santa, Santa stuff that, that winter is like he did, um, he did the Ramsey party and he did there was a special that was being um, created uh, about, it was a Charles Kuralt on the road. That was like a, you know, show they had on TV then. And, and uh, 
it was like a national television show and they were going around and finding real Santas in the country, right? Mm -hmm. You know, profiling the real Santas. And so my dad was picked as one of the real Santas. And what an honor. <laughs> yeah. And there was like amazing. a black Santa and, you know, this Santa oh, cool. and that Santa. But so anyway, that's the only thing he did for Santa was he did, he did the Charles Corral video, which I don't think was ever released. As far as I know, it was never released. And he went to the Jean Benet Ramsey Christmas party because he was the kind of person that would go out of his way for a friend. You know? To a fault, even. Sometimes, you know? yeah. I mean, obviously, <laughs> that was a big wow. mistake he made when going to that party. <clears throat> he should have been home in bed, but, um, you know, that's just the kind of person he was. He would, if he thought you were a friend, he would, he would go out of his way, out of his comfort zone to help and be there and and I think that was just a, a huge misunderstanding that he had he really believed that the Ramses were his friends unfortunately a lot of yeah. people were kind of crossed off that list and it sounds yeah. to me like it makes it e even all the more tragic that it sounds like your father was just like generously and gregariously doing a favor for a friend and it makes it just all the more tragic that it like ended up this way for him yeah but I think it goes back to that whole thing I was telling you about the immigrant thing like you know I don't think he could pick up on some of those maybe subtle cues that you know oh, like yeah. the that's Ramsey a really good point page servant that's what he was yeah I can yeah. completely relate late to that because I am a private music teacher and to some families sometimes it feels like I'm part of the family but a lot of times I'm still just the help mm -hmm. so I can definitely relate to that oh yeah I thought it was really interesting that the Ramseys never they never defended Bill at all or or the housekeeper I mean I know we're just kind of like obviously very disposable you know we, when we talked about in our podcast that you know John claimed that Bill McReynolds was in top shape and could easily, you know, jump into a window and, and go through the house, um, which we knew that he had open heart surgery pretty recently, recent, you know, recently before the murder. So it's just kind of one of those things that's like, that's so sad. I mean, he, he gets out of bed to help him out. And then, you know, later it's claimed that, oh, he's just not really that sick. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's throwing him under the bus. It's, it's yeah. tragic. It's so yeah. sad. God. Yeah, I can I can answer a few questions if you want about the glitter and the node and all that stuff because I can have some explanations for that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, that would be really interesting. That actually um, wasn't even in our list of questions, um, but that actually would be really interesting because that is something that always comes up in documentaries. They're like they make it sound super suspicious that he had this glitter right. from Jean Benet and it's just like, like okay. oh he must have been obsessed with her he took the glitter into the surgery with him and right that was so like so out of context so if you put it in context what what do people go what do people take with them when they go into surgery when they're not sure if they're going to live or not good luck charm could have easily not made it out of that surgery so he took with him the thing that represented what he loved most in life, 
the reason to live is to like do what you want to do do what makes you happy you know i think that's what the glitter represented to him yeah being you know, santa claus being free being magic yeah, and special yeah. you know make doing good things in the world that's that was his reason to live like just happened to be that you know jean Bonnet gave him that vial of glitter like it wasn't about her it was about him right mm-hmm. well and it sounds like your parents too are very poetic people very oh my gosh yeah. such poetic and as you say idealistic too. idealistic yeah mm-hmm. sweet and what is more idealistic than like magic fairy dust or exactly so when he when he would stroll up and down the boulder mall Mm -hmm. he would you know my mom had her little basket with candy in it and little candy canes and my dad had glitter and so he would give the kids you know he'd have them hold out their hands and put little glitter in their hands and say this is you know this is angel dust and he had this feel you know it was like his thing was uh how did it go so angels are everywhere Christmas is every day and Santa is always in your heart. And that's what he would tell the kids and give them the, the, you know, angel dust. And that's so cute. That's what the glitter was about. Oh my gosh. That is like just so magical, honestly. It really I, was. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine? Totally twisted out of, you know. Horribly so. I mean, can you imagine being a little kid and you meet Santa Claus and he gives you this magic angel dust and tells you, you know, Christmas is every day and it's just like seems so special and sweet. Yeah. And then, um, you know, as far as like the the letter that, you know, was sent to the Ramses, like, like I said, like he really thought they were friends. And so he gave him a copy of his a tape and a copy of his kids book that he wrote called um Santa's special gift or no Santa's simplest gift is the name of his book and he made it into a tape with his voice you know it was like a kid story and you know he thought he thought he was eulogizing John Bonet you know by interviewing and telling everybody how great she was like that was like a eulogy you know like that's what people do when you're, you know, you eulogizing somebody, right? They say, oh, they were the best person ever lived, you know, all that hyperbole because you want to make the parents feel good, right? Right. And she had become so high profile and, you know, it's he probably thought people were looking for an insight into who she really was. And, you know, he knew not the, you know, pageant queen that was flaunting around, but it sounds like he knew, you know, the little girl that is Jean Benet and was Jean Benet. Right. I think that's what he was, yeah, trying to convey, and maybe people just took it the wrong way because maybe he was just a little bit too emotional. I think he was also eulogizing his his sister in a way too. Yeah, it's it's just amazing to me because you know, out of context, and the way the media really ran with this on all different directions, and and digging up information about you and your family and. You know, he was, it sounds like at its very simplest form, he was just a guy who still believed in magic, right? Like he just wanted to spread cheer and be happy and, you know, live out his retirement the way he always wanted to and the speculations that... Believed. Yeah, just believed. People you know? are good and, you know, yeah. true and yeah. cared about the truth and... Right. 
Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you think about, like, people finding out stuff about us, like, obviously nobody found out very much. They just barely scratched the surface. I've always been available, and anybody could have, I don't know how you guys found me, but it must, it couldn't have been that hard. I don't know. It wasn't. <laughs> I feel like I've been hiding. <laughs> no, it, it really wasn't difficult at all. <laughs> I find it so strange that you hadn't been requested for many interviews because, I mean, your father is mentioned in link with this case almost every time it comes up, right. despite being cleared fully very early. Right. Well, right. it sounds like so I, don't, I don't really have a lot of sympathy for, you know, any of that stuff or because, you know, they could have. I have a copy of the play. It's not a big secret. I have all kinds of articles of, you know, things that my parents did before the John Bonet Ramsey case. Whole history, like not that hard to find. Like really not. The the play Hey Rube. Yeah. That mother wrote. Yeah. I that is my biggest pet peeve mm-hmm. when people bring that one up because you know, I, I know what the play's about, you know, Sylvia Sylvia Likens. And I, I also don't think having, I mean, like we said before, like it sounds like your parents are both very poetic people and very creative uh, mm-hmm. people. So, you know, going and kind of judging art like that and, and thinking it's, you know, a clue into a, a murder investigation is just unbelievable to me. Let, let me give you a little context for the play, if I, w- if I may. Yeah, of course. So, I think it's really important to remember that she wrote that play in 1977. You know, at the same time that other, you know, feminist writers like um, Kate Millett were also writing about that case. Kate Millett wrote a, a book called The Basement. And if you read the play, Hey Rube, it's not, I think it's loosely based on the Sylvia Likens case, but it's about power. And who has it is what the play is about. You know, it's about a young girl who was being tortured for four months in plain view of the whole neighborhood and nobody came to help her. Um, So in a lot of ways, like it couldn't be more different than what happened to Jean Benet. You know, it happened to a poor girl, not a rich girl. Mm -hmm. And in the, the term, hey, Rube, is it means um, it's sort of like code if you're part of like the carnival scene, which Sylvia Likens parents were. Um, they kind of had their own subculture and they, you know, they policed themselves. They didn't turn outside to outsiders for help to resolve problems. And so hey broob is what carnival people yell out if they need help. And then oh. all the other carnies come running to help if they're in trouble. Oh. That's what Hey Rube means. Wow, that's so, fascinating. Yeah, so the play is really about, you know, about class in a lot of ways. And it also has, you know, other stuff in it like illegal abortion and incest and all kinds of stuff that were, you know, big topics of the day. Way oh, before, yeah. like, there was like a Catholic church scandal or any of that stuff. Wow. It's like pushing boundaries. It, yeah, and, it, you know, it didn't succeed is, you know, I think it was ahead of its time, really. But it was produced, you know, it was produced in New York, it was produced in LA, and it was produced in Denver, so. Oh, wow. Great, it's a great play. I hope somebody, maybe somebody out there listening wants to 
to produce Heyru because mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that would be awesome. That would be that would be amazing. Uh, yeah, I I'm I'm a huge theater kid and also true crime fan, and you know, like like you've said before, people kind of just hold on to that that piece of information as almost evidence um almost as this yeah it, it's so strange to me i i don't really, i i understand that it's compelling to people you know like the idea of father christmas someone you trust in your house and like oh and if you look over here there's all these like strange coincidences but it reads to me more like a conspiracy theory and not an investigation Right. right. I, I, and it just goes on and on and on. And it's just, it's such a shame. And um, it's such a shame that no one's ever seemed interested in your actual family, but rather these few tidbits that they just were allowed to run with. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It was like my dad's worst nightmare, really. That, <sighs> like, uh, that journalism can turn into what it is. And I'm very glad he doesn't have to witness it anymore. <laughs> Yeah, God, right. So I know that one of the things that they like to bring up in documentaries is that there was speculation about a special gift that uh, Mr. McReynolds was going to give to Jean Benet. Do you have any idea, anything about that? I sure do. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, my little brother reminded me of this. So, um, so when Bill decided to become a Santa, he started off, uh, you know, as a you know mall Santa. Like that's how he first mm-hmm. kind of got into it. And he went to Santa school, like over a weekend. You know, they had <laughs> all Santas come and learn, you know, do's and don'ts of being a Santa. And uh, so one of the things that um, he was taught at Santa school is that you never tell a kid what they're going to get for Christmas, you know, because you don't want to, like, you know, put put the uh, parents on, on the spot, right? R- so, write checks that the parents can't cash. Kind of <laughs> right, yeah. So, you, you know, you, he, he was trained, like, to tell kids, you know, you're going to get a special gift for Gosh, Christmas. It's so simple. <laughs> it's so, yeah. <laughs> It's such a simple answer. And, you know, we've always considered that to be like something harmless that some like th- that Santa might say to a child or if, you know, he was going to even give her a gift. I mean, you know, we've also just it's just amazing how the stuff gets like blown so much out of proportion because it's just like such a sensational thing for right. media to just blow up. Right. Yeah, it's not like he, he can. Just tell, he didn't just tell John Bonet he's she's gonna get a special. He gift. told everybody, all that. kids, uh, that they were yeah. gonna get a special gift. That was part of his spiel. But yeah, he's simple. He can't go into the house and be like, "You're gonna get a puppy. <laughs> it's, it's it's gonna be the most expensive puppy in in the world." You know, you're getting a motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you want, sure, you're yeah. gonna get that. Like no, that electric guitar you. What? <laughs> right. Your parents are taking out a loan. A drum set. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I, I didn't know Santa school existed, but I'm really happy that it does. Um, <laughs> yeah. and that's adorable. Yeah, you're right. That's just like a really simple um, explanation. And, you know, Lindsay, Lindsay has said that a lot, you know, before when we would be talking about this case. Um, she's like, I just don't think that's weird. It's Santa Claus talking to a kid, you know, and it's like, yeah, 
Yeah. And in my family, Christmas was huge. I mean, my oldest sister believed in Santa until she was like 17. I mean, oh my gosh. Like, no, I'm, I, I'm like, in, yeah, I'm not, in, I'm like really embarrassed to say that. And then my other sister, you know, I think I stopped believing when I was like 11, but that's kind of late. Because my mom was just, it was a huge spectacle. She'd make it super magical. And, you know, she'd do the boot prints from the fireplace, you know, uh -huh. with the soot. I mean, it was just like super theatrical. And so I hearing this stuff for me, it's like, oh, yeah, that's it's Santa Claus. Of course, that would be how things are. You yeah. know, of course, Santa would tell you magic is real and your dreams will come true. Like, right. Totally. And my dad was so into it. Like, he had his beard all year long. So, you know, in summertime, like kids would come up and say, are you Santa? And you'd be like, yeah, I'm Santa. I'm on vacation. <laughs> That's <North> adorable. <laughs> That's really adorable, you know, just how much, he, what a kick he got out of it. Yeah. The joy for him. Because he loved kids, you know. That's amazing. That's wonderful. I, I love everything about that. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, it, and they, I mean, the, the stuff the media says is just like, I mean, they really drag him through the mud. It's horrible. And I always wondered, you know, there have been lawsuits in the past, like uh, Burke Ramsey recently sued the CBS documentary that kind of pitched an idea of the pineapple theory. And Chris Wolf sued the Ramseys for defamation at one point. Have Has your family ever considered doing a defamation lawsuit? Just curious. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, my parents did think about it. And um, I think it was mostly my mom <laughs> that decided this wouldn't be worth it to like try to like keep paying attention to this thing. Like, cause my dad, like he just could not get over the idea that anybody would ever think that he could do something like that. And, you know, he brooded on it, you know, like he couldn't let so it go. Sad. And, um, you know, my mom, you know, was a writer. So she just wrote, 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 wrote. That's how she processed you know, her feelings. Um, but my dad just kind of just went round and round in his head. And, you know, and so my mom, you know, ultimately just said, we're not ever talking to the media again. We're not going to talk about this anymore. We're going to just do what we got to do. Um, we're just going to go on with our lives and be ourselves, which is what they did. And, you know, luckily, because he only had another five years to live, like, if he had tried to pursue something legally, <clears throat> that would have taken a big chunk of that time which he used to yeah. walk and the stress. And, yeah. And, you know, he, he just kept helping people like, you know, he loved to walk on the beach. They both, my parents just loved to travel. You know, they were very well-traveled people. They've been everywhere, all kinds of interesting places. He was like the funnest person you would ever want to go on a trip with because he was like a historian, you know, so yeah, he, cool. yeah. You know, he, he was a historian. He knew all these facts and like, so they spent, you know, the last five years of his life um, in, in, on the East Coast, just, you know, going to cool places. And that's what he wanted to do rather than keep this thing going, you know. And who wants to make money off the death of a child that you love? Oh, yeah. like, right. I, I would never want to do that. And neither would he. Yeah. And I that brings me so much joy to know that they were able to, you know, get away from that insanity and and get to just hang out with each other doing the things that they love to do because i think mm -hmm. you're right like had they pursued you know anything legal it's it's going to become more publicized and more talked about and 
you know, then they're adding these really long, you know, elaborate trials or, you know, court hearings. Um, right. And I think for them, that was just, you know, fuel on the fire. To, right. You know, like we just kind of cut it out of our lives. Like it just wasn't relevant. You know, anybody who knew him knew that he wouldn't have ever hurt anyone. Right. So. Wow. Yeah. Um, well, in the uh, books that I've read on the case, they always were describing your family as very cooperative. And mm -hmm. they said they were cleared very early on. And um, I think I always, you know, thought it was weird that they would bring your father up and then just kind of leave it like, oh, but he, they wouldn't even clarify like there was no extent of involvement at all mm -hmm. because it's just, it's kind of like a hot button topic. And then after reading Stephen Thomas's book when I, is when I really realized to the extent that they really like almost harassed your father and then the media even worse. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, like overall, do you think, like how did that really affect your family overall? Well, I mean, of course, you know, my mom would have been the one that really, I mean, she was just furious and bitter about it until she died. She died in 2016. And, um, you know, she, it was just a hard thing for her to talk about. And, you know, and I'm sure it affected her. Um, and, you know, I'm sure that my dad probably lost a few years he could have had longer if this hadn't happened, you know. And, you know, I don't want to speak for my brothers because, you know, I don't feel like I have the right to tell their story. Um, I can say for me, it didn't really affect me terribly much, I don't think, because to me, it was like, obviously, you know, I just thought it was absurd from the very right. beginning. Like, I was like, this is National Enquirer stuff. Like, obviously, mm -hmm. Dad, don't worry about it. Like, I couldn't, at the time, I didn't really quite get it, you know, how much he was hurt. It's only since I've been a lot older that I can really understand. Like, it was about his legacy, you know, and yeah, um, but for me, it was kind of like, yeah, well, that happened. Wasn't that weird, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, but my dad is my dad. So, you know, to me, it didn't really change. Yeah. Like how you viewed him and, you know, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Although I might have had a little bit, you know, uh, of a... Uh, unconscious effect on me in terms of what I what I've done with my life like I became a social worker and counselor and that's what I do and I I uh specialize in tr you know trauma victims so that's awesome yeah that's, that's had, super cool I was going that direction anyway but it might have had just a little influence <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting Sam's wife is a social worker yeah 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 she well, is yeah i knew there was some connection yeah <laughs> wow it sounds like i mean to be honest your family just sounds like you have so much resilience you know to just power through and just do what's good at the end of the day mm -hmm. regardless yeah. of the adversity yeah i think i learned that from my parents like they were very resilient people yeah it sounds like it i, I think we can all learn to to go out and enjoy life, you know, regardless of, you know, the pain or what, what people say or how people see you, right. you know. Right. Well, we hope we can. Right. You know? I mean, that's hard to do sometimes. Certainly try. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Um, in the grand scheme of things, you know, like truth is the truth. And no matter who, what people believe, haters are going to hate, you know, <laughs> people true. who actually have some critical thinking skills like you guys, you know, I think you would have just loved you both just <sighs> that you found me. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah. It's critical thinking is what we do know. love Santa Bill. It's true. <laughs> we do. I mean, yes, I'm actually love? <laughs> my fiance was um, listening to our last episode. And so the episode um, where we talked about the, the cleared suspects in the intruder theory. And um, he's like, all you guys did was talk about Santa Bill. Why are you even talking about him? when he was cleared <laughs> that's what he said and he's like you know you guys spent the whole episode talking about how he was innocent and it's like you should you didn't even need to mention him and i was like you don't understand we do need to mention him <laughs> yeah. because a lot of people still will say well what about that one guy you know it's like oh my gosh that again um so, my yeah. my friend from work uh he's been listening and he's arguably one of our biggest fans i feel like but he he busted besides, <laughs> besides yeah <laughs> besides you but he busted into work after listening to that episode and he was like oh my god santa bill oh my god like we had to like help and i was like i know <laughs> he was someone prior that you know always thought that um santa bill was a viable suspect so i'm glad that i know that i at least flipped him on it because he was like oh my god i feel terrible i you know da, da, da. and it's like yeah. okay well any anything you guys could can do to help you know change the narrative i would be most grateful because i think it's going to be up to people like you guys to like you know actually share share enough information to change people's minds because it's not going to happen in the mainstream media that's true. No. Um, so to kind of change the subject a little bit, um, were you actually with your parents um, around Christmas of 1996? Oh, of course. That was, uh, okay. you know, our tradition. Like, like I have four kids. Like, we wouldn't miss Christmas at Santa Bill's house, you know? <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Right. It seems kind yeah. of silly that that would be the one day he's like, meh, no, don't bother coming over. <laughs> right. Yeah, we had a tra tradition, like we would spend uh, Christmas Eve at my mother-in-law's and we'd go up to my parents' house in the mountains on Christmas Day, and that's what oh, we cool. did, and, you know, and then poor old Baba went to sleep, just like he said he did at 8 o'clock, because he was exhausted from playing with my four boys all day, mm -hmm. and he woke up to his worst nightmare, and that's the truth of what, what happened. So, I mean, we, we, we obviously have, have one last question for you. I think we obviously know the answer to it, but we would be remiss if we didn't ask. Um, do you think your parents had any involvement in the murder of John Benet Ramsey? <laughs> well, 100% no. Like, you, you guys out there, anybody listening, if you want to sit around and speculating about Santa Bill for the rest of your life, go ahead. It's like sitting around thinking about whether fish can fly. It's just, seems like a pretty silly w way to spend your time when the reality is you could be spending your time helping children who like, especially people of color, children of color, poor children who are being abducted and abused and killed all over the world as we speak. 
I would just really love to encourage people to do that and pay attention to the people who don't get in the news. That's a really good message too. I mean, it's, that is a really disturbing truth. Do you guys know about the little girl? There was another little girl that was killed the same week as John Bonet. No. Um, in uh, I think in Chicago, she was a little little black girl who was uh, kidnapped and um, assaulted and, and left for dead. Luckily, she lived. Same oh. same week. Her name is Girl X. Look her up. Um, what is it? It's Girl X. Yeah. Uh, they she her didn't girl make X the news. Black. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times, so, um, black girls do not make the news when they're victims of horrible crimes. Right. All yeah. the time this happened. I hope you guys do an episode that's about, you know, just the media in general and how this whole case it's is our just plan. kind of an oh, intersectionality yeah. of, you know, gender, class, race, Absolutely. white privilege. I mean, it's just amazing. Like, if I could go back to school and get a PhD, I would write my thesis about this. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. Like, so many layers. Oh, trust me. We have definitely a episode in the near future about just the the media and, and politics and- politics yeah you know i you know, Lindsay and i talk all the time about the narratives that are spun about this case are they're less investigative and more political mm-hmm. and you know that's why we have these reoccurring narratives that are constantly being perpetrated because it's it's less about you know solving it or finding justice or even changing the system to allow justice for you know um survivors of sexual abuse or you know anything like that but instead it's just these constant political back and forth and and boulder was some of the worst of it and absolutely i don't know how much it has changed because i'm not familiar with the area but i hope it has yeah you have a different da either (laughs) But I do know that, you know, the district attorney went out of their way to, you know, clear the Ramseys publicly. And, you know, I really think they should have done that for my dad as well. Oh, absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Yes. They sh- I don't know why that they didn't. They did that for um, the Ramsey's oldest son. And yeah. Like, that's the least they could have done. That's a really yeah, good point. Don't you think? That's a really good point. Yeah. Well, I know that. You know, what does it take? Do you have to be a millionaire to get? Yes. You know. Literally, yeah. Literally, yes. I was just saying yes. Um, Obviously, that that you know, people like my dad don't matter. Well, Well, they matter to us. Oh, oh, jinx! (laughs) They matter to us. They do. Yes, and you know. We, we've read so much about this case, and from the investigators of the case, they also did not believe it was your father. Right. That's help. That, I feel like that's helpful to know. That, you know, despite the criticisms from the media, despite that gotcha journalism mm-hmm. kind of thing, at least we know, at least the three of us here know, that mm-hmm. the true investigators on the case did not believe it was Bill McReynolds. No. I mean, he was cleared really early on. He yeah. was. He was was um I, one question i'm kind of curious about would be um what do you think your father would kind of want people to know about him i know you know you might not feel like you can completely speak for him but what would you speculate that he would want people to know about him 
I can just sum it up with, you know, what I told you before, that Christmas is every day, angels are everywhere, and Santa is always in your heart. I love that. Especially, I my birthday is Christmas Eve. Oh. So I, I absolutely, like, love the Christmas season and stuff like that. So I, I love it. I'm pretty much a product of Christmas magic. It's not a big deal. Like. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have any questions for us? Well, I am curious, like, how you did find me. I found... So, yeah, your name is omitted from every article in police record. Um, I didn't know if that was intentional or not. So, sorry if I invaded your privacy. I was a little bit worried about that. But I found his obituary. Oh. And it lists, like, his surviving family members. Oh, okay. Yeah, and that's how I was able to uh, track you down on Facebook. <laughs> okay, good work. It took it took a while. It did it did take a <laughs> while, but yeah, then I, I you know eventually found you. I wasn't sure if I was gonna message you or not. I didn't. I we're not journalists, you know. We don't want to be invasive. We don't. We're not right. the type that are gonna you know call an email and try to get the story out. It's like not. But I just felt so passionately about his innocence and so i was like well the worst you can say is no and that's totally fine i think the other thing that people bill would want people to know is like this that's just shitty journalism like <laughs> right right obviously obviously like he would want everybody to you know up in arms about that not not for him or, or his sake but just in general like you know come on people yeah <laughs> like, for like the sanctity of journalism a little bit more <laughs> right <laughs> Oh, and it's it's probably gotten so much worse since then with um, online mm -hmm. uh, news and oh yeah, clickbait and stuff like that. Oh, I mean, I just read a very, very, very long, like blog post that was posted on Reddit that Bill and Janet McReynolds were actually spies from New York and they changed their names and did this and that. And I was like, what? <laughs> it was so long. I was like, some crazy stuff out in there. In what world? Yeah. I found oh. some crazy stuff like, uh, um, you know, that he visited porn shops, like, Oh, I, I read that too, yeah. Oh, or, or, God or forbid. Like, you know, I was a, I, oh, this is a good one, that I have bipolar disorder. No, no, uh, borderline personality disorder. Oh, she must have borderline personality disorder. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I don't get it. Oh, crazy. You just gotta laugh at this stuff, you know. That's yeah. one thing I love about your guys's approach. You know, sort of like that tongue-in-cheek absurdity <laughs> that you do. Yeah. Like, I love that. Yeah, it's such. I mean, we we understand the gravity of it, and it, it's it's a very very tragic case. Um, but we we do try to keep it a little bit lighter so that we can discuss the facts and let people hear them. Mm -hmm. You know, I you feel like people. Yeah, people tend to tune out if it's too dry, but I'm also not willing to do catchy, like, oh, and, you know, look at this person and how suspicious that is. Like, it's, I just want to talk about the case and what we know factually about it. Right. Yeah. We know a lot about it and we, we are not in law enforcement or anything. It's. I kind of wonder what, 
I would have room for in my brain <laughs> if I didn't have so much of this case in it. <laughs> yep. Could be a rocket scientist or something. Yeah. Well, gosh. I really can't like express my gratitude enough. Like, thank you so, so much for coming here. And, you know, you speak so eloquently and, you know, I think you share your parents' poetic uh, sense about you. Mm -hmm. Um, This has really just been excellent. Oh, well, thank you. My pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, Can you also email me i don't this is a, a really rude re- request and if you don't want to it's totally fine um we we had something we we thought we could mail you like mm-hmm. a little gift for coming on um so if you could send me like a p.o box or your address and if not that's totally fine too but i i do have an idea for a special gift to, to send oh. you. So. <laughs> okay just don't tell the media because they might take it oh <laughs> You walked right into that one, dude. <laughs> that I didn't awesome. want to say what it was going to be. I didn't even realize I was using that verbiage. Sam says that to everybody. <laughs> oh, no. Ooh, maybe Sam did it. Yeah, look, really. like, I constantly incriminated myself on this podcast because I'll be like, when we talked about the Hey Rube, I'd be like, yeah, I would hate for a crime to happen later on in life. And they look at my podcast and they're like, oh, well, Sam did this oh, podcast. God. So. <laughs> Yeah, where you talked about murder for like 15 episodes. <laughs> and I never thought we would be doing a podcast on this. I mean, we talk about this case before we're doing the podcast. We talk about it all the time. And then finally, we were like, maybe we should do a podcast, you know, maybe because there's so many people that are really interested in this theory and yeah. this, sorry, this case. I, mean, yeah. theory, but. I want to learn how to do a podcast for a totally different reason. Like, Oh, really? I haven't started figuring out how to do that, so. Oh, let me know. I I, I will gladly uh, walk you through it. Awesome. Okay. It's I'll very simple. Fine. Yeah, it's very easy. Yeah. Well, it's easier than you might think, because I, I yeah. thought this was process was a lot easier than I was imagining. I've, I'll probably, like, you know, it's on my bucket list to do soon, but it might take me a while, because I'm really busy, but. Yeah. Just give yourself a co-host that doesn't require you to edit so much. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm the worst. It's the truth. <laughs> like I will make such off-color jokes, and I will think they're hilarious, and then they get cut, and I'm really sad about it. So, well, you but- also have a tendency. I'll be like in the middle of a sentence, and she'll go, "No, no, 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 wait," <laughs> and I'm like, oh, "If you let me finish my sentence, you would have known where I was going." <laughs> so then, when yeah, I when true. I edit it, I have to be like. Okay, click. No, no, no. Okay, click. Like microscopic, <laughs> like seconds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, well, that's a great talent to have, ability to do that. It's, I'm it's very more, grateful for that. It's more the ability to have patience sometimes. <laughs> We've known each other a long time. So. Yes, yeah, very, very long. <laughs> Since time. high school, so. Well, I guess I should probably let you guys go. You probably got lots of editing to do. And I do, things. yeah. <laughs> Less than usual because I didn't talk as much. So <laughs> That is true. But thank you so very much for sitting down with us and you know telling us all about your father. I'm really excited that I learned about him so much. And he just he just sounds like a like a really educated, interesting, fun-loving man. Yep, that really sums him up. 
Yes. Cool. Thank you, Thank so, you much. so much. Thank you so much. Yeah. And if you need anything, any other questions, let me know. All right. Have a great night. Okay. Bye. Bye. I just am so, so grateful that Jill was able to come on and speak with us. I know. That was so cool of her. I'm just totally geeked. It's like one of those things that you like don't think is going to actually happen until it happens. And you're like, oh, oh, my God. And it was really, really nice just kind of getting to know Bill McReynolds beyond the persona that was created by the media. That's just not even accurate. Well, and it was so special to us, too, because, like, you know, we practically did a whole episode on, like, suspects, but it was really a whole episode on Bill McReynolds. <laughs> and, you know, I always tell everyone, even before we started doing podcasts, that I don't really care what they believe in with the John Bonnet murder stuff, but like don't believe it in the Bill McReynolds thing. That just drives me insane. <laughs> right. And I think the people that do, they're just misinformed or they're being led by this um, sensationalized narrative that is easy to sell by the media. Well, yeah. And that's what's so frustrating about true crime sometimes is that sometimes a documentary will come out with no factual basis and people will walk away from it being like, oh, there you got, there we go. You that's, don't that's say. That's what I think now. <laughs> yeah. You don't say. I, I can think of at I least two. About that a lot. Oh, yeah. yeah I could off the top of, of my head. I could think of at least three. It's yeah. funny because I saw someone do a, a TikTok. I love TikTok, by the way. We're not sponsored by TikTok. <clears throat> but if TikTok wants to sponsor me, that's great. But anyways, uh, true crime TikTok where, you know, they were talking about what they believe in in terms of like who's guilty and who's not guilty and i disagreed with all of them wow. and i i commented being like you know i kind of feel <laughs> like you were a little bit influenced on the most recent documentaries that came out about these cases and then i got blocked so that was cool wow a boy <laughs> <laughs> well overall i will say that at least we're not leading a misleading narrative and you know, I mean, I think it was a refreshing perspective that's long overdue. Absolutely. I'm sorry we were the first ones to, you know, speak with her, but I'm, I'm so glad that we did. So that pretty much concludes our first bonus episode. We actually don't have many episodes left. What? Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, keep listening, recommend us to everyone, and uh, listen to us a million times and become obsessed with us. Um, don't tell me what to do ever again all right well thank you for listening everyone who's not Lindsay. bye i love you anyone who's not Lindsay. okay cool <laughs>